Today we're going to be talking about Jesus. It's a surprise to most of you. We're going to talk about him today. Particularly that Jesus justifies the broken. It's been a good, a good week for me this week dealing with this text and, and, uh, and finding some new uh, surprising uh, insights that God's given me through the text. I, I hope that you guys will enjoy it as much as I did. I want to start today just by talking about uh, Todd, my son. When Todd was old enough to start speaking he, and, and old enough to walk around and get around the house, he wanted to do everything himself. And because his mama studied self-esteem in preschoolers, she always tried to do things to enhance that. That was her goal in his life and our kids' life. My goal was to beat them down. Hers was to build them up. So it all kind of worked out. Amen? That was my daughter, for those of you who don't know it. But Todd was always, you know, I'd do it, Daddy. I'd do it. He didn't want me to do stuff for him. He wanted to do it himself. That was, that was his, his thing. And then, you know, all through his life, it was always that case, only he changed his language a little bit. Uh, you know, I want to do it myself, Dad. I want to do it myself. And then, he, you know, the older he got, he became very independent, which we were hopeful would happen with both of our children, and, that, and it did. They both gained independence. They both, you know, and, that, and that's a good thing, right, for parents. We, you know, the, I teach psychology, and there's authoritative parenting, which is the, the goal. It's to give a lot of freedom, but also to punish when they do wrong every time, but to make sure they know why they're being punished in detail. So we tried to be that kind of, those kinds of parents to our kids, and that's good. Uh, even when he, when he got into adolescence and was doing things that we knew were going to cause him problems, you know, parents, you know, the, uh, the, the regular thing that we say as parents, the normal thing is that, look, I've already done that. I made, I made that mistake. Learn from my mistakes. Todd's response to that was, I want to learn from my own mistakes. Okay, stupid. Just learn from your own mistakes. But he did. Everything was his. He wanted to do it himself. And that's good. That's good. You want your, your kids to be independent. You don't want them to be dependent for the rest of their lives. Right, parents of adults? Parents of adults? <laughs> we only have a couple of us. We want them to be independent. We want them, we want them to grow up and become adults themselves and do things for themselves. It's unfortunate, though, in the spiritual life that that is the opposite of what it means to be a mature Christian. What God wants us to learn and what we've been learning as we've been looking at the life of Christ and how he's dealt with the religion of the day and the to-do list and the independence and the you know pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and be good and do good stuff, that that's not good. Jesus is combating that in all of the Gospels. When he, in every story that we have where religious people or religion is involved, Jesus is trying to get them to broken to get them away from that and to get them totally dependent upon the righteousness of Christ instead of dependent upon their own righteousness. And so it's hard for us because everything in life, and I've you know, played ball, and so playing football, you have to work hard to achieve and, you, and you're rewarded when you achieve and it's all you. Yeah, we saw the LSU Tigers last night. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. We saw the LSU Tigers last night. You know, they, don't, they really honestly are in a building year. They didn't have the skills to be able to beat Auburn. We knew that when they went into the game. And in the first quarter, we saw the reality of what should have happened. But those guys dug deep within themselves. And, you know, Coach Ogeron, if they could understand what he was saying, they, respond, they responded to what he said. 
and they pull something up from within themselves. And it was just like you could tell. Couldn't, I mean, am I wrong with that, those of you who watch the game? LSU was a different team, and it was because of motivation. It was adrenaline that was pumping. You know, it, it, was, it was excitement, and it was, they were just different. You know, that, that was the LSU Tigers we've been wanting to see all year. They rose up and had the best game they've had all season. That's, that's normal. You work hard. You pull out of whatever you, whatever you put into yourself. You're able to pull that out and use it whenever the, the, the time arises. And, and so for all of us, there's this, there's this struggle that we have. And unfortunately, in the culture that we live in, the church, and myself included for years, has perpetuated this idea of put religion in and get religion out. Get it out. Use it. And you will be applauded by pastors and teachers and by your friends who judge you when you do well. And you will be condemned and judged when you don't do well based on their standard. And maybe a standard that you've bought into. And depending on how I'm doing in this, in this self-righteousness, depending on how I'm doing in my religion, depends on how I feel about myself. And if I feel bad enough, then I come to a point of feeling condemned and feeling uh, weak, and, and so I rededicate my life to Christ, which means I'm going to dig deeper within myself and try and pull more religion out. And most of you are like me. Over the years, you've rededicated yourself over and over again. It, you, you go through that same cycle that, that uh, uh, Steve McVeigh talks about in his book, Grace Walk. You, you go that same cycle of condemnation and rededication and then I forget what the other one is. Affirmation? Where you're feeling good about yourself anyway. They all end with shun. So we'll let those be it. But you feel good about yourself when you're doing well. And then when you do poorly at the the list of things that you've made for yourself to follow. That righteousness that you've added to the righteousness of Christ. Then you feel good about yourself. Or when you fall from it, you feel bad about yourself. And so you rededicate yourself. You make a new commitment to Christ. You walk the aisle. You pray a prayer. You, 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 you mean it. You cry tears. And they're real tears because you really want to do better. But it's not any different than me trying to be a better football player or my son wanting to do everything for himself. It's, there's nothing different to that. That's what we are in the flesh and in the world. All of us have grown up with that. Well, Jesus deals with that in the, in the text today. He's going to deal with this concept, and I hope we can bring it in because uh, here's, what I, here's what I'm wanting us to, to see from the text today. You know, we have hopefully, we, we're, we're, here, we're hearing this over and over again, so we understand that our righteousness is not good enough and that we don't need to add anything to the righteousness of Christ, that we are taken completely in, in God's eyes, we are perfect. If we think we've failed, he doesn't look at us. He sees Christ. So if we think we're not forgiving, then, then God says, but you are forgiven. You forgave the thief that crucified you to the cross. And our reaction would be, well, that's, that wasn't us, but we are in Christ. It was us. That's what Jesus sees. That's what God sees when he looks at us. He sees the forgiveness of Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And, and, and for us to try to add something to that, I hope we'll see today how crazy that is and how that defeats the purpose and how it also causes us to live a life of condemnation. And it's not the life that Christ wants for us. So Jesus justifies the broken. And we want to find ourselves today, hopefully, being the broken. Y'all with me? We don't want to be those that are not broken today. Because not broken in, this, in the context of this story today means self-righteous. And we don't want that. 
We're trying to agree with the Holy Spirit as he works in our lives that the righteousness of Christ is enough. And we depend on that and we take on that yoke that's so easy, that burden that's so light, and we, and we walk with him through life and enjoy life. So let's look at the te- first text today. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It'll be on the screen. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who, never, who neither feared nor, uh, God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in, in, in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So in this part of the the passage, Jesus is telling us a story of an unrighteous, unrighteous judge. He's He's not talking about himself. He's talking about a parable of an unrighteous judge. And even this unrighteous judge who doesn't fear God, the scripture says, or respect man. He gives justice to a widow because of her persistence. Now, I have heard this story taught a lot that that what this means is that in prayer, we need to persist and pray the same thing over and over again so that God will give us what we want. Wrong answer, people. This is wrong. Look at the text. He's not saying, I'm the unrighteous judge. We don't have to uh, constantly plea before God like the harder we pray or the more that we plea, uh, maybe eventually our work will turn the heart of God. Have y'all heard that before? That this is, this is, is for us to keep praying, keep pushing in, keep pressing. Uh, I think it's A.W. Tozer uh, wrote a book that Talath and I have been into. Uh, is it After Midnight? Born After Midnight. He starts off that book talking about how some people, uh, he wants us to, be, uh, to understand that he's not saying that if people pray until midnight or pray past midnight, that that's going to accomplish anything. It's not our works at all that does anything for God. And then he goes on to tell the parable following that to explain that truth. But I need us to understand before we get into this that Jesus is not an unrighteous judge who needs us to say the same thing over and over again so that he'll remember, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm supposed to do something about this. Doesn't that sound crazy when you think about it? That we should ask God over and over again like he's going to forget? Or from a self-righteous perspective that that our continually pleading for God and asking God over and over again would make him do something because of, our, because of, something, of something that we do. That contradicts everything we've heard about the righteousness of Christ. What we do does nothing to add any power to what Christ has already done for us. Now, does that mean we don't pray? No, you pray as much as you want to pray, but you pray what's in your heart and you cry out to God. But how you cry out to God is important. Crying out with the understanding that, you know, here's the question that arises from that text. Will God not give justice to those who are not righteous in their action? That's us. 
Will God give justice to those of us who cry out uh, and we're not righteous in our actions? We're sinners. Continue to continue. We're, we're saints, but we're continuing to live in sin. If we come to the place of brokenness and desiring God's grace and mercy, will he not hear us? Listen, God's gift of justice is given to us. Jesus gave us his righteousness. It's a gift. It's already been given to us, not something we need to ask for. Jesus satisfies the need for righteousness. The righteous judge is satisfied. So now the question is, will we find ourselves, how will we find ourselves in this text? The problem wasn't the judge. Our judge is both righteous and merciful. He, proved, he provides for those who would receive his grace. But what if the woman in her poverty, what if the woman in her distress who was having to fight an adversary, what if the woman who was needing help would have claimed that she had all the help she needed? What if instead of crying out to this unrighteous judge, she would have said, listen, I don't really need your help. I got this. And she just stood before her adversary on her own. That'd be crazy. She knows she's helpless, but what if? What if she, she said, hey, I got a better plan. I think I'll just do it my way. What if she would have mocked the benevolence of the judge who, who said, listen, I'm going to help you. All right, I'll help you since you persisted. And she said, well, listen, I don't even want your help anymore. I'm tired of asking for it. And she'd have taken an attitude. Would she have gotten the help of the judge? No. The judge wouldn't have, this unrighteous judge would not have helped her. If she would have thought, hey, I've got what I need. Never mind, I don't need your help. And so Jesus goes on to tell us that that's this idea of not needing the justice of God, taking care of ourselves, is what the Pharisees were doing. And that as a result of their saying, I don't, we don't need the righteousness of Christ. We got this. We're good enough. You know, we can be good. We got the rules and we're following the rules. Like the rich young ruler that came to Christ and Jesus said, he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, I've done that. You know, they thought they had done this. They thought they were already righteous. And so they, they weren't coming to Christ as, as those in need who were fearful of the adversary, their enemy, Satan, who was against them. And crying out to him from, a, from a, an empty heart in a, in a life that was not satisfied, in a, in a, in a body, in a, in a mind that was not capable of saving itself. Coming to the righteous judge and asking for help. So he shares another parable. Look at it, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. That's my Pharisee voice. Or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified 
before God. We'll talk about what justified means in a minute. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That was, our, that was from our text last week as well. We need to understand clearly that God justifies the broken. God justifies the broken. They're self-righteous, think they're going to be justified or receive justice according to their own righteousness. But God justifies the broken. Two different stories here. A Pharisee who stands and sees that everything he does is good and just wants to point out to God that he's keeping all the rules, right? And in his, uh, as he looks around, he finds the Pharise- uh, I mean, uh, uh, tax collector over in the corner, the most notorious of all sinners, and he, and he sees him and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like him. I do all these things. I'm a spiritual giant. Thank you for noticing. Just wanted to get that done today and I'll see you next Sabbath. That's the way so many people live today. And it's subtle too. Don't think that you're not one of those if you're not obviously talking about somebody else and how poor they're doing in their spiritual life. If you feel it in your heart, if that's a part of who you are, if you're you're looking at yourself and comparing yourself to somebody else and trying to think that you look good based on the the rest of the people in your family or the rest of the people that that you work with or the people that are your friends and you look around and you say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. People on my street don't live nearly as good as I do. I'm doing better than my husband. I'm doing better than my wife. That's self-righteousness. Let me, look, let me give you four things about self-righteousness that come from this story. First of all, self-righteous people are blind to their own sin. Have you noticed that? Self-righteous people are blind to their own sin. Have you noticed that in yourself? I'm going to encourage you to do something that you should never do in church. But it's going to help you. So think of somebody you've been judging this week. Just get somebody in mind. Who have you judged this week? Who have you thought about who has not measured up? I mean, they just, it's so obvious. I mean, I've been praying for them. Maybe Maybe it's come in prayer. But you've judged somebody. Who is it? Get them in your mind. And whatever it is that they're guilty of, let me ask you this. Have you seen that in yourself? Have you seen that sin in yourself? It's so crazy how many times that I have judged someone and, and the scripture that Jesus gave where he says that as you judge, you will be judged. And, and that the things that the very things that you're judging someone else for, you are guilty of. And we are. We have within ourselves the capacity to do all kinds of things. Every kind of evil, every sort of evil, had we not had the kind of upbringing we had, even apart from Christ, if we hadn't had the kind of upbringing we had, if we hadn't had the kind of uh, education that we had, if we hadn't had all the benefits that we've had to bring us to a place of being where we are, we would be just like the worst of the worst in society. Like the guy who killed the people in Vegas. We have that capacity within ourselves, outside of all the things that we've been blessed with. And even, even if we're not Christians, just the things that we've had growing up and living. We have no right to judge anybody else, but here's what judging does, first of all. Self-righteousness causes you to be blind to your own sin. I, I mean, one of my favorite things to do, uh, it's one of the things I hate to do with myself and I love to do with other people, is to point that out. Because it happens to me all the time. So when someone starts ragging or hitting on somebody and, they, and it's obvious that there's a sin that they're not seeing, 
then I try to point it out. And just in, not to everybody, obviously, but those of you that spend a lot of time with me, and we, you know, I'm, as your pastor, I, I want you to be able to benefit from what I benefit from, and that is judge yourself. Judge yourself. You have no right to judge anybody else. Self-righteousness blinds us to our need for God. It blinds us to the need to cry out to God and ask for his benevolence and his mercy because we think we're good. It focuses on the wrong thing. It blinds us to our own sin and our need for for Christ. Second thing, self-righteous people use the broken to exalt themselves. Isn't it crazy how the people that you're talking about are all, you only talk about them because they're worse than you in a certain area? You're using people that are broken to exalt yourself. Using people that are having, maybe they have a, a habitual sin they just cannot get over. I mean, don't we all, to a certain degree, have sins that we just can't get over? You know, and they, they, man, they're just always this way. Yes, they are. They're, they're bound to that. And it's easy to look down on somebody who doesn't have your problem. We look down on those who are weaker than us. Self-righteous people do. Look down on people to exalt themselves. And Jesus says, if you exalt yourself, you'll be put down. So we need to pay attention to that. Self-righteous people also have tunnel vision. They have tunnel vision. They can't see anything but, what, but the, their righteous activity. It's just... Here's, here's what I have to do, and I'm going to do it, and it has nothing to do with life or my heart or anything else. It's just tunnel vision. I'm going to, be, I'm going to do what's right for me and not care about anybody that's around me. And we see it in the story. And self-righteous people also are offended by the sin of the broken. And we're offended if we're self-righteous and we, look, we think that we're good. When we look at somebody else, it offends us that they're so evil. Yeah, I'll never forget working with the homeless when, when, when we had our apartments that we were keeping homeless in. Uh, you know, as I, was, as I spent time with them, initially I thought, man, I've got so much I need to do with them. Yeah, they, they, they just need so much help. But I was blind to my own sin, and ultimately what happened is the more time that I spend with them, the more I saw that I was just like them. I started off by being offended by their sin, how can they do drugs? How can they be addicted to drugs? How can they relapse on drugs? And don't they realize this is ruining their life? And then I realize I've got addictions in my own life that I've been trying to get rid of for years and years and years, and I'm still holding on to those, but I was blind to that. But I could see it clearly in somebody else. So self-righteous people are blind to their own sin. They use the brokenness to exalt themselves. They have tunnel vision, and they're offended by the sins of others. And so when Jesus speaks of that. He says, I tell you, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. If we continue to maintain that, you, you wonder why the church and people who are stuck in their self-righteousness have so much trouble in life. It's because God is constantly trying to humble us. I mean, most of my life I spent, I spent as a self-righteous minister telling people, looking down my nose at people, feeling good about myself because I was better not only than the people that I was ministering to, but I was better than all the other ministers. I had success. So I was able to look down my nose at everybody and all these characteristics of self-righteousness were in me. You ever wonder why I've had to go through so much pain in my life? Where God's had to break me over and over again and, 
and bring me to the point of, of, of realizing I am nothing. I have nothing to offer. It's only Christ in me that's valuable in ministry. And the more that, the, the more that I embrace that, the, the more that I am exalted. And not exalted in the way that people look up to me or that people build me up or, or my, name, my name becomes great among the people in, the, in, the, in this culture. But the, I get lifted up with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I get lifted up with, the, with Christ living in me and revealing himself to me more and more every day. It's, it's the complete joy that Jesus talked about through obedience. It's, I mean, I feel exalted, exalted by God. So I want to be broken. Let's look at broken people. This, this tax collector who cries out and for mercy, beats his breast, Cries out, God, look at me. I can't look up to you. Have mercy on me, a sinner. First of all, broken people realize they're stuck. Broken people realize they're stuck. This Pharisee realized he was stuck. He couldn't get out on his own. He, he's a, he's, you know, he is stuck in the mud. He needs somebody with a four-wheel drive to come and hook a chain to him or give it some, something to pull him out of the mud. He's stuck. He's stuck in his sin. He realized, I can't get out of this. I, I love money too much. And, I, and he cries out to God, realizing that he's stuck. Self-righteous people think they're not stuck. They think they've got, they're out. They've got it taken care of. Broken people also realize they need an advocate. When you're stuck, you need help. My dad and I one time did a test drive, a test drive on a four-wheel drive S10 pickup truck. This was years ago. It was a test drive. Okay, my dad decided he wanted to go test drive this truck. So I rode with him. And he pulls off the road and goes into the woods and finds a mud hole. It's a test drive of a, of a vehicle that he has not bought. He kicks it in four-wheel drive, goes through a little puddle. Oh, it looks good. I think I, think I might buy it. I'm going to try this next one. He tried the next one. We're as far away from anybody as you can be out in the middle of the woods. About two hours later... After I walked about five, six miles, found a house, found a guy with a truck, a four-wheel drive truck. He came to try and pull us out. He had chains. He yanked, he yanked, he yanked, couldn't get us out. Then he calls a friend who has a tractor who comes and brings the tractor. And between him and the tractor, they were able to pull this test drive truck out of the mud. And I said, Dad, there's, you know you have no choice now. You're buying this truck. Yeah, I know. Test driving. But we were so stuck in the mud. It took a truck and a tractor to get us out. Yeah, that's the kind of stuck that needs an advocate. There was no help. There was nothing we could do to get ourselves out. Do you realize that yet about your sin? Do you realize that about your, your standing with God? That, that, that there's nothing you can do at all to even help yourself. It would be like me taking a... a a robe and tying it around the truck myself and said, all right, Dad, you hit the gas and thinking I could pull him out. There's nothing we can do. How stupid is us for to put a rope across our shoulder and try to pull a four-wheel drive truck out of the mud? But that's what we do. That's what we do with our own self-righteousness. And so broken people realize, I, I'm stuck and I need somebody to, to pull me out. I need an advocate. Broken people avoid the self-righteous because they feel judged. It said this man was standing far off. He, had, he didn't want to be anywhere around this, this, this self-righteous 
Pharisee who was praying all these things out loud. He's, you know, broken people know not to come around those kind of people. They know that those people have nothing to offer them. They've been offering it for years and people are still stuck. They've offered it for years and people are still trying to build themselves up and trying to be like the Pharisees. And, and for most of you, you're like me. You saw people who were lifted up and, and who were self-righteous, but, but they were really good at what they did. They were more consistent than anybody else. And we want to be like them and we want them to mentor us. And when they do, they say, well, you know, it's really easy. Just read your Bible every day for about an hour and a half and pray, you know, for another hour and keep praying the same things over and over again, by the way. And go to church on Wednesday night and be on about seven or eight committees. And, you know, don't forget Sunday morning and Sunday night because only the faithful go on Sunday night which I'm one of those. So you come like me, give about 15% of your income because 10% is not enough if you're going to be righteous. And all these rules, and they just add up, and it's the people that were the most spiritual or the most legalistic, really, and self-righteous and, and flaunted that in front of everybody else that we looked up to. Well, a broken person doesn't be anywhere around those people. You wonder why the people that we're trying to reach as a church, the very lost in this town, those people that, are, that have nothing to do with the church, you wonder why they're so offended by all of the stuff that we keep throwing out, trying to say, we're righteous, we're righteous, let us hold a banner, let us hold a sign, we're righteous, and you're not. And so they stay as far away from us as they possibly can. So we're picketing on this side of town, and they're on, in another state. That's not, we're not giving them anything that they need, and they know it because they're broken. Broken people stay away from religious, righteous people, self-righteous folks. Broken people also must act in faith. Jesus asks the question at the end of this parable. He says, where are the verses before? He says, where will I find faith? Where will I find faith? When the Son of Man comes, where will he find faith on the earth? Here's where he finds faith. And it's clear. This parable is told for that reason. One of the, one of the reasons it's told is faith is found when a man is in his brokenness. When a man has nothing to offer and he has, he has nowhere else to go. If I have something else to put my faith in, then I don't have to go to the son of man and put my faith in him. If I can look at myself and say, I'm pretty righteous compared to everybody else in the church. If I'm at least in the elite in our church, as far as my spiritual things that I do every week, if I can list mine and my list is bigger than everybody else's, or at least among the top, then I'm doing pretty good. I, I have no need for faith. But a broken person has need for faith. This, this tax collector had nothing to offer, and he knew it. He was broken, and he cries out. And he puts his faith, ultimately, in the Son of Man to save him. He cries out to God. Then broken people turn to God. They, they cry out. They're broken. They, they realize they have a need for faith, and they take that faith, and they turn to God. We've talked about repentance for the last couple of weeks. Repentance is turning to God. It's not just turning from something. So they turn from their self-righteousness, from their own ability to do something, to, to earn something, to, to please God in a way that they'll be blessed, and they'll prosper because God is pleased with them by their actions. They turn away from that, and they turn to God. 
They know they can't save themselves. They know they can't be good enough. They're broken. They're not even trying to be. They're so far down the list of righteous people, they don't even try to make the list. They're not going to try to build themselves up from the bottom up on that list. They avoid it altogether. But now they turn in faith to God and say, God, I'm nothing. I can't even look up to heaven. But I, please have mercy on me. I'm not just. Have mercy on me. And they turn to God. That's true repentance. The beautiful thing about broken people is they find justification. That passage says that they found, he found, he was justified. Which one of them was justified? It wasn't the self-righteous one. It was the broken one. It was the tax collector. It was the notorious sinner. The one that was so bad and everybody knew it. The one that all the Pharisees were comparing themselves to and say, thank you, God, I'm not like him. It's that one that, that walks away justified. Church, we've got to get this. Y'all getting it? We don't want to identify as a self-righteous Pharisee in any way. We don't want to identify as, as add, trying to add to help or whatever. It, you know, helping is the same thing as, as not trusting or putting faith in God. If, I, if the tractor comes and the truck comes and they're both pulling and I say, well, give me my rope and I put it on my shoulders, like, what does that do? It makes me feel like I did something. That's not total dependence. That's not faith. That's me trying to do something, and, I, and, and whatever, I, whatever happens, I take credit for it. You saw what I did? Nobody saw the tractor in the truck, but did you see me? See what I did? That's what we do. He walked away justified. Justification. Listen to this. I'm going to read this whole section. of, of It came out of the uh, Eason's Bible Dictionary of justification. I want to read this whole section. I read a lot of different definitions of justification, so... Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah? Mind's alert? Okay, so stay plugged in and listen to all the beautiful stuff that justification is. This is what God does for us. Listen. As regards its nature, it is the judicial act of God, God acting as judge, by which he pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ and accounts, accepts, and treats them as righteous in the eye of the law. That is, as conformed to all of its demands. In addition to the pardon of sin, justification declares that all the claims of the law are satisfied in respect of the justified. If the act of a judge and not is uh, if the act of a judge and not of a sovereign, it is the act of a judge and not of a sovereign. The law is not relaxed or set aside. No need to fear, people. We're not preaching here that the law has no effect. God demands perfection. He demands that everybody in here meet the the law completely. It is not relaxed or set aside, but it is declared to be fulfilled in the strictest sense. And so the person justified is declared to be entitled to all the advantages and the rewards arising from perfect obedience to the law. If you want to look that up, Romans 5, 1 to 10 is a passage you can read that communicates that. It proceeds on the imputing or crediting to the believer by God himself of perfect righteousness, active and passive, of his representative and surety, Jesus Christ. So we get the perfect righteousness of, of God's representative and surety 
Jesus Christ, the one that stands in our defense and pays our price. Justification is not the forgiveness of a man without righteousness, but a declaration that he possesses a righteousness which perfectly and forever satisfies the law, namely Christ's righteousness. So we are righteous. We're made righteous. When we finally get to the point of realizing we're broken, we have nothing to offer God, the scripture is packed full of scriptures that talk about our need for salvation by grace. But listen, Paul's writings are more full of our need for the righteousness of Christ alone and not to add to his righteousness something of our own. Not to throw the rope on our shoulder and try and pull ourselves out anymore, but to just rest in Christ. Ultimately, the the, the awesome thing about being broken and crying out to God for mercy and grace is that we are justified, and when we realize that we can do nothing else to add to that, basically when we get to the point we say, I I don't have to do anything, then we can ask the question, what do I want to do? And we're going to find our hearts have been trans, transformed. Pharisees stood in, in the, in the uh, temple and cried out to God and re- reminded him of all of his righteousness because his heart was, had not been changed. But the man that was on the floor had a, had a, trans, a change of heart. His, he was sprinkled with clean water. He, his old heart of stone was pulled out. He was given a heart of flesh. And God put his spirit in him. And now he will be a man who obeys his laws and decrees. All that Ezekiel talked about happened to that man as he cried out to God, broken. We need to be that man. We need to be that. There's a man in the Old Testament who had a heart for God. What was his name? Heart after God. David. He was a king and had a heart after God. Let's listen to the response of this most, he was the most righteous king that ever lived. Listen to this righteous king, born of men, after his fall with Bathsheba. Listen to what he says. This, this, is, this is a good response. This is a response of a broken king. A, a broken man who was lifted up and exalted as, a God, as the most godly king who ever lived. But was not self-righteous, but instead was broken. Listen to what he says. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me. Make this your prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out my, all my iniquities. Then create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Do good in Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings, and the whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. God, I can't help but take ownership of the prayer that I just read of David, a servant after your heart, because God, you have changed my heart. You've broken my heart. You've broken my spirit. I thank you, God, that you do not despise a broken heart and a broken spirit, but instead it allows you to do good and bring pleasure to me because of that. I would never have broken it myself, but you've been faithful. God, I find myself today with the broken. I identify with them. I have nothing, God, I know that. I pray that you will Continue to break us. And for those who are here today, Father, who who continue to hold on to some type of rope of self-righteousness, trying to pull themselves out of the mess they're in, God, I pray that you would free them up today. That as crazy as it sounds, that they would release their self-righteousness, any kind of righteousness, righteousness they have, and totally depend on what Christ did. Father, that's the beginning of true righteousness is when our hearts are broken and contrite. Then we can make right sacrifices because they come from you. Then, then we can give the way we want to give, serve the way we want to get, serve. And, and from a heart that's pure, which means that you will be pleased. And we can reveal to this town who you really are instead of revealing to this town what we have revealed up to this point. And that is that you are a harsh God who judges and condemns and hates and hurts. Father, this community needs to see you. So help us to see you first and to surrender our lives to you. Do you work in our hearts today as we continue to worship.